this week, James? Yeah. How about you, Richard? What are you thankful for? Another day, right? Ken, what are you thankful for? Good health? Yeah, very good. I uh, I asked my cousin one time, he says, so what do you what do you want to do on your birthday? And he tells me, well, I um, he says, I want to... Um, I want to wake up. <laughs> He's 86 years old, you know. So yeah, that that would be a a very good thing. I remember one time somebody once said, "I'm thankful uh, that I didn't get caught." <laughs> yeah, we're thankful for God, right? We're thankful for our family, and uh, I thank God for you, as you as you might have heard last week. I thank God for you. I thank God for who you are, for your participation, for your regeneration. Uh, I thank God for your sanctification. I thank God for your glorification. And those are things that are to come. You see, it's interesting on how in, in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30, Paul says, you know, that you were predestined. You know, you, first of all, he foreknew you. You were predestined. You were called. You know, this is all past tense. You were, you were uh, called. You were, uh, you, you were glorified. He's talking about your glorification in the future, but he's talking about it in the past tense. This is something that's already happened. So in a sense... Thank, as James says, he's thankful for his salvation. He's thankful for his salvation because it's already happened and he's already there. Can you imagine this? Because you're saved and you're sanctified, you're being sanctified and one day you'll be glorified. And because you live, uh, you will live for eternity and eternity is from the way in the beginning to way in the end. So it really means that if you're saved, genuinely saved, and you're being sanctified, that you are right now living in eternity. Let that sink in for a moment. You know, and you think about that, and you, but when we look at life and we look at how everything seems to be going, you know, very slow and, it, and it's painful and it hurts and it, stuff happens and, and life goes on and, and just seems to, you know, mess with us in such a way. And, and we wonder, when, Lord, when? And God says, well, never, because you're, I mean, forever or never, it's always, you're, you're, you're saved, and you're already saved. You're already living in eternity. Why fret? Well, God, because it hurts. Well, God says, I know that. It hurts because we hold on to so much in this world. It hurts because we hold on with our fists clenched in such a manner that when God wants to take it away from us, it, it, he has to pry it out of our hands. If we would just say, Lord, I'm already in eternity. What more could I want? What more could I need? Thank you, God for giving us that salvation that we are in right now. You are living in eternity. Not when you die, not when you get to heaven. You know, that's when you're going to be able to see it. But right now, you are living in eternity. And if you want something to be thankful for, thank God for your eternal life. Amen? Eternal life is what God has given us. He's given us that through Jesus Christ, through Christ alone. Only through him and through what he's given us and only through what he's done. And so we come to this portion of scripture because Paul is uh, alluding to that and referring to that here in, in, uh, as he finishes up. Now remember, Paul's already taught in 1 Thessalonians that the rapture is going to happen. Now he's not teaching it as a teaching lesson uh, in, a, in a sense of a, a theologian type. You know, this is, these are the things that are to happen and, and here's all the verses to back that up. 
he is teaching it as a pastor, wanting to encourage his flock. Beloved, uh, I don't want you to be uninformed that, you know, the coming of the Lord is going to first and foremost, for those that have died before you, those who are dead in Christ will rise first. Don't worry about them. You guys are all in eternity right now. Don't be concerned. I want you to be informed that when the trumpet blows, that those that are dead in Christ, they will rise first. And then those of us who are left behind will be caught up. And there really isn't a whole lot of teaching on the doctrine except for the things that we uh, have brought in from 1 Corinthians 15, if you remember. And, and Paul is encouraging them. He's encouraging them because they are going through tough times. Remember that. They're going through struggles. And they're wondering, what, what happened? Am I even saved? Did Jesus Christ come? And, and the reason I'm still here is because I wasn't even saved. Did, what, what happened to, to my life? Why is it being, why am I being persecuted? We did hear there was going to be a big persecution before Jesus Christ returns. Is that what happened? They were going through some struggles, beloved. And maybe not as uh, you know, as hard as, as some of some of us might have, I, I understand that you're going through struggles as well. But you got to remember, the people in Thessalonica, and as well, maybe all Christendom at this point, they were being persecuted because they had this faith in Jesus Christ and the Christ alone. That's all they said. In Christ alone is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's all they kept saying. And the Jewish people says, "No, you got to follow the commandments. No, you got to follow the traditions. No, you got to follow the, the 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 festivals." And the Greeks were saying, "No, you got to follow all the gods. No, you guys can't just have one god and so or one Jesus. You got to have multiple gods." And so they were getting it from all kinds of different places. And because they wouldn't worship the other gods, they were being persecuted. They were literally being taken out of their homes. They were dragged outside of the city gates. They were stoned and left for dead. Their property was seized. Their families were made slaves. And, and so they were standing firm. And so Paul is encouraging them, says, beloved, stand firm. I want you to stand firm because all these things that I've taught you, you, you know, you understand that the, the Antichrist won't come yet. He hasn't yet showed up, no matter what anybody says. Remember, Paul had already said something to the effect of, you know, regardless of what you hear, either uh, let no one, in verse 3 of chapter 2, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day of the Lord will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And he says in verse 2, uh, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So somebody had wrote them a letter. Somebody has been talking to them and sharing with them that Jesus Christ has already come. This Paul that taught you these things, he's just leading you astray. And so Paul explains to them that the lawless one needs to come first. And these are the things that are going to come first. There's going to be a rebellion. Remember, as we talked about this, there's going to be uh, a falling away. There's going to be this, this, uh, there's going to be this apostasy. Uh, the, 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 you know, the, the Antichrist, the lawless one, is going to set himself up in the, in the temple of God. The temple has to be rebuilt. All these things have to take place before the lawless one can be revealed. And what's holding him back? We studied this. We looked at this. We saw that it was the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that's holding him back until the right time. And so as Paul has been teaching them and sharing with them on the things on which not to be concerned over the world events that are taking place, not to be overwhelmed by the persecution that they're going through, he, he, he finishes off this chapter by going to verse 15, 16, excuse me, and he says this. Now, he says, Oh, I'm sorry, verse 15, I was right. Verse 15, so then, you know, and this is what, so, every time Paul does that, there's a transition. He has just, everything I just mentioned right now, that he's talking about, so, because of what I just said, he says, so then, brothers, stand firm 
and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Father, I know that this is a prayer that Paul prayed for the people in Thessalonica. This is a prayer that he is praying for us right here. This is your word that is uh, sounding out forth that we stand firm, that we stand firm, that we hold to the traditions that we've been taught by your word or by letter, that Jesus Christ and, and and you, God our Father, who loves us, And you gave us eternal comfort, eternal comfort that started at the moment of our uh, conversion, of our regeneration. Eternity doesn't start when I die and go to heaven. It starts right now. And this good hope and the grace that you're, you're asking Paul and you're telling us and you're sharing with me to share with this church and the congregation and the people from the sound of my voice to be comforted by these words to comfort our hearts, and to establish ourselves, to stand firm, and to be immovable with the foundation of Jesus Christ, our solid rock. And Lord, that is a high calling in a world where Paul was preaching to and talking to and the lives that they and the things that they were going through in their lives. And the things that we go through, Lord, pale in comparison to the things that they were going through. But nonetheless, Father, we do, we do struggle. We go through tribulations as well. Maybe not as harsh as they did in Thessalonica, and one day they might amount to all those things. And you've called us right now to stand firm. So, Father, I pray that we can take Paul's words serious and apply them to our life and do them and live them, practice them, as as James had shared with us as well. So thank you, Father, for this word. Give us direction in all things we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. And amen. As I mentioned, Paul is reaching out and he's talking to people. He's talking to these people about the uh, the troubles and the tribulations that they're going through. They receive the letter. They understand that uh, Paul understands that they believe that the Antichrist has already come, that Jesus Christ has already come, that uh, the rapture has already come, that all these things, it's already come to an end. It's got to come to fruition because all the things that he talked about are happening to them. So they're concerned. They go, I can't believe that, you know, we're, we're left. What happened? So Paul says, look, I'm still here. Let me show you how I am still here. As a matter of fact, when you, uh, you get to the end of this chapter, um, chapter 3, if you go to chapter 3, verse 17, he says this, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. Paul is saying, I'm still here. <laughs> I haven't left. If the rapture hasn't happened, I'm writing this letter to you right now with my own hand. And not only that, he's trying to share with them. He says, look, all my letters are signed, Paul. Now, his eyesight was bad, and he had people writing for him, but he would sign these letters. And he would make sure that the people understood that these are from Paul. And they were written like Paul. Some of the other letters, I don't know how they were written. We don't have a copy of them. We don't have manuscripts. But we do know that somebody was writing letters or talking like Paul and trying to deceive people. So there's some things that, that Paul is trying to is, is sharing with us right now. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Number one in your outlines, Paul says, guard the truth. Guard the truth. 
understand on the things that I've taught you and I've shared with you, the things that have been handed down by tradition. Now, the Bible tells us not to be caught up with the traditions of man. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself said, these Pharisees, they follow the traditions of man instead of the words of God. And what Paul is talking about here is, you know, you have to remember that during that time, they didn't have access to, well, a Bible like this. They didn't have a printing press. When Paul wrote a letter, he wrote one letter, and it was wrapped up, it was rolled up as a scroll, and that letter or that scroll or the epistle was taken to the church, and it was opened up, and Paul read it. And from there, they moved it from church to church, and they read it. And that's how it was that they received the information that Paul was writing to them. Paul didn't like email them and have multiple copies or a copy machine to send out different letters and a bunch of letters. It was one letter written out to various people. Now, in time, what happened is they started to translate them, not translate them, but uh, uh, transcribe them. They started to transcribe them in the letters of Paul. So we have a lot of manuscripts now because of that. And uh, the manuscripts were transcribed in such a manner that if there was a mistake made, the whole thing was thrown away. They would count the letters of every page. And as they wrote, they would count. And it was it was just one long parchment that was rolled up, and it was sectioned off like this, and it was just one long letter. Didn't have chapters, didn't have verses. It was just one long letter. As a matter of fact, most of the letters that Paul wrote, a lot of the letters were crunched together. You, you couldn't really tell where one word began and the other one ended. So it was very difficult for, for a lot of Greek scholars, but they were able to decipher and be able to understand, oh, yeah, th- this is where it breaks. This is a natural break. This is a place where we should put a period, maybe a comma, quotations. Those things weren't even there. There. And so as they studied and they looked at it, there's been a lot of lot of errors in the quotations and in the punctuation marks, but the truth of God from when it was written by Paul, how it was transcribed throughout the ages, and what we have today, it's pretty much identical. And I can tell you that because the scrolls that were found in 1948, they're called the Dead Sea Scrolls. There was a young man that was going through the mountainside and he was throwing rocks and all of a sudden he threw a rock inside of a cave and he heard something shatter and break and he takes off running and says, oh, wait a minute, there's no windows up there. And so he goes up there to find out what it was that he broke and it was a jar and these jars had a bunch of jars. These jars had scrolls and scrolls and scrolls of Jeremiah, of Isaiah, of a lot of these Old Testament prophets. And they took those Dead Sea Scrolls and they compared them to our English and Besides the punctuation marks, maybe a couple of typographical errors, it was exactly the same. God's truth has been handed down to us from the time that Paul wrote it to what we have right now. And it's difficult, and I don't know how people do it, but it's difficult to try to say that it says something else. Personally, beloved, I cannot stand here and tell you, well, I think what God meant. I I cannot stand in God's place and try to presume what God meant. He says what he says. Now we got to figure out how to put this into practice. And so what Paul is saying, he says, I want you to guard this truth. Guard this truth because it is, it is truth. Truth is not abstract. Truth is not, you know, relevant. That's your truth. This is my truth. You know, that's their truth. It all depends. Some people say, well, it depends on the situation and when you're at, you know, that, that has to be true. Sometimes you might not have to tell the truth, but the truth is the truth regardless of what, what people say. So you see... Write this down if you want. I preached this message a long time ago. Truth never changes. True changes me. The truth of God's word never changes. True changes me. And it is the truth that we encounter. And what is the truth? That's a good question. 
As a matter of fact, uh, it, it was Herod that asked, Pontius Pilate, excuse me, that asked, you know, uh, you know, if you say it's true, and he says, so what is truth? These philosophers would, would sit around discussing truth and trying to understand truth, and w- truth is relevant depending on your situation, depending on what's going on. You know, truth changes because at one time we thought that the earth was the center of the world, and so uh, the universe, excuse me, that the earth, everything revolved around the earth, and we find out, oh, no, it, it's not. Things revolve around the earth, and so that is the center of the universe. Oh, wait a minute. That's not the only sun. There's other suns. Oh, wait a minute. There's other galaxies. And so to some people, they say that truth has changed or evolved. No, that's not truth. That's acquired knowledge. That's knowledge that people have learned because of things that have been exposed. Truth is always truth. As a matter of fact, let me take it one step further. And hopefully it'll blow your mind like it blew my mind when I first understood this. Truth is a person. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. And anytime you encounter truth in God's word, you encounter Jesus Christ. That's why God's word is so important to read because it is the living body of Christ. It is Christ himself. In the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and the word dwelt among us. And this is truth. And so the things that Paul has taught the people in Thessalonica that has been handed down from generation to generation that now lies in our palms, in our hands, that we now read, Paul says, I want you to stand firm and guard that truth. Guard it with your life because your life's going to depend on it, your eternal life. And that's one thing that people have been trying to do. They've been trying to get rid of the truth. You know, have you heard about all these Fact checkers? Oh, that's not true. You know, the, the moment the fact checkers came up was when they were being bombarded with truth. Oh, that's not true. Oh, that's not true. That's your truth. And all of a sudden, truth became relevant. And nobody has the truth anymore. Everybody's, everybody's got their own truth. There's versions of the truth. Beloved, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And you guard the truth. Once you learn it, you memorize it, you hold it in your heart, and you guard it. Uh, John said this. In 1 John 2.18, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. And you remember, as we went through the apostasy and all the Antichrists that are supposed to come, they're going to come with signs and wonders that, uh, that mimic what God has done. And they're going to be able to deceive, in other words, lie, In other words, not tell the truth. They're going to be able to deceive even the elect if it was possible. That's how almost genuine this looks. And so what what God is saying and what Paul is saying and what John just said, it's the last hour. And so antichrists are coming. And they're going to keep coming. And they're going to keep coming. And there's going to be this huge apostasy right before antichrist is revealed. And this apostasy is not necessarily in the world, but it's in the church. It is the church that is turning away from the true and living God and making up their own doctrines and leading others astray. So how do I guard the truth? Well, number first bullet point, by standing firm. Paul says, so then, brothers, stand firm. 
Stand firm. You got to get your sea legs if you're on a boat. I don't know if you've ever been on a boat. It's been a long time since I've been on a boat. We went on a boat here just not too long ago for a few days. We went out to fish in Mexican waters, and, and we're floating. The moment we take off, the boat's doing this number, you know, and, and it does this. And, and you're, you're, you're having to, you know, stand firm because otherwise, if the boat is going this way and you go that way too, then you're going to, all of a sudden, the boat's going to go like this, and you're going to bop your head on the, on the wall or on the bulkhead, is what they call it, and um, starboard report. And so, you know, that's uh, nautical terms. Anyways, and, and so if you're not standing firm while you're walking, you know, you're going to fall over. This world is a rocking. This world is going all kinds of places. And you've got to stand firm so, and be able to get your foothold in, what you're, in where you're going and where you're walking to. And, and what Paul is telling them is, is you've got to stand firm and hold on to the traditions, he says. Uh, stand firm and, and don't let nothing move you. As a matter of fact, Paul says to the people in 1 Corinthians 16, he says, be watchful and stand firm. And not only stand firm as an individual, as a man, as a woman, but you need to stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Immovable. He says, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Men, Paul is calling you to stand firm and, and, and in faith and act like men. Be strong and let all that you do be done in love. You can do this love in strength and you can love in strength and you can stand firm and be strong in love. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to be strong and overbearing. You can, you can be strong in love. Agape, thinking more of others. Loving unconditionally. This is a command to men. And he's talking to men. Not the brothers. Remember, not the Adelphoi. The Adelphoi, remember, is the men and women. Here he's talking to Adelphos, the men. Men, you need to be strong and firm and do everything in love. And especially in the faith. Because that's where the enemy comes. He comes and attacks the home through the man. You ever noticed? I'm sure you have. You probably read a lot of information on how broken homes, men, men that are not in their homes, those families are the ones that go astray. The kids are the ones that are causing all kinds of havoc throughout the world because there is no solid foundation in the faith. There needs to be a solid foundation. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Paul tells the brethren there, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. This is adult boy, men and women. Be steadfast. In the King James Version, when I memorized it, it says, stand firm. I'm sorry, the NIV. Stand firm. He says, stand firm, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You know, I look around here sometimes, and I think, and this is one of my favorite verses. I've memorized this in the NIV. Now I'm memorizing it in the ESV. And this is one of my favorite verses, you know, because God said to me, you're not going to, he didn't say to me, you're going to grow a big church. Matter of fact, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, kind of realizing that now at my age. He didn't say that you're going to have many churches. He didn't say you're going to have many, many people. All he told me to do was to stand firm. He said, stand firm, let nothing move you. Nothing. Not this culture, not church planners, not the denominations, not other churches, other pastors, nothing. Let nothing move you. Stand firm, he says. Because I want you to know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, I'm yet to see what that means as I get to heaven. I don't know if that's going to mean anything, to be honest with you. I don't know how many lives I've been able to touch and minister to and disciple. I don't know. I mean, I know I've, I've been through a lot of people and people have been through me. You know, but I, I don't really know what that means as far as numbers. And, you know, and, and if it wasn't for a verse like this and others, 
that I, I, I would have you know, been blown off a long time ago. I would have been on the deck, uh, on the back of the boat, in the middle of the night, a wave would have came out. Psh, if I wouldn't have been standing firm, I'd have jumped overboard or fallen overboard if I didn't have my firm foundation in the Lord. Now, for whatever reason, God is whatever he's doing, I'm just standing firm. He says, just stand firm. He didn't say to me, he's not going to say to you when you get to heaven, well done, my good and successful servant. No, that's not what he says. Well done, my good and handsome servant. No, that's not what he's going to say either. Yeah, Eileen laughs. She goes, yeah, he's not going to tell you that. Uh, Well done, my good and educated servant. No. What is he going to say? Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's all he's asking you to do is to be faithful. Leave the rest up to God. Leave the rest up to God. Well done, my good and faithful. Not successful, not abundant, not huge, not great, not powerful. Faithful. That's what he's asking for. Your faithfulness by standing firm. Stand firm. You know, and also another way to guard the truth is by holding on to the traditions. Paul tells him to stand firm and hold to the traditions. Traditions have ne- sometimes have been categorized as negative, you know, because there are a lot of traditions that we have in church. Okay? Like, for instance, in some churches, you have the tradition of wearing a suit and tie. Everybody wears a suit and tie. And uh, if you don't wear a suit and tie, then, you know, you're going to hell or something like that. Uh, some people start church at 10. You know, that's our tradition. And if you don't make it at 10, then, you know, I don't know about you. You must not be a good servant. You must be a, lick, a wicked and lazy servant. Some people have church on Sunday nights. You know, if you don't come to church on Sunday nights, oh, yeah, that just shows that you're not disciplined. That's a tradition. Now, you know, if we had church on Sunday night, I'd like for people to come, of course. But those are all traditions. What the Bible teaches is do not neglect the gathering of the saints, as some have been accustomed to doing, because things come up. I have a party to go to. I have, you know, uh, a vacation to go to. I mean, we're all going to the lake. It's a beautiful day in Southern California. Come on. You know, I, I, you can't expect me to go to church, you know, waste a whole half a day there. By the time I get to the lake, you know, it's going to be late in the afternoon. But don't go. The bottom line is this, is that there are a lot of traditions. And sometimes the church tries to hold people to those traditions. In, in that sense. But see, what Paul is talking about here, he's not talking about those types of traditions. Because back then, they didn't have the written word, as I said earlier. What they had was oral tradition. They read the story, they memorized it, and then they shared it with other people. As a matter of fact, that's how the gospel message was first proclaimed. The gospels were not even written till much later. Everybody believed Jesus Christ was going to come right back. He said he's coming back. He said he'll be right back, so we're just telling you to get ready because this is what he said, this is what he did, this is what he's going to go do. He's going to prepare a house for us, and he's going to come back, he said. He's going to come back for us. And until people started to die off, those that were, you know, the apostles, they go, wow, you know, we've got to figure out a way on how to do this. So people started writing it down. As a matter of fact, Luke, the author of the book of Luke and the book of Acts, he was commissioned to write down all the stories of Jesus Christ, and he was an investigative reporter. He went asking questions, who, what, when, where, and how. He went and talked to Mary. He went and talked to the shepherds. He went and talked to, uh, you know, he talked to everybody. He, he got first-hand, first-hand information. As a matter of fact, in, in the first, uh, in, in, in Luke chapter 1, it'll, it'll tell you that. He says, he says this, and as much, Luke chapter 1, as much 
as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely and some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. You've been taught these things, Theophilus. You've been taught. I've seen uh, what, what everybody else has written. And there have been a lot of people trying to write things down and seen things. But you know what? A lot of these guys are dying. So now I, I'm taking it upon myself to write an orderly account. He does the same thing in the book of Acts. I want to write an orderly account of what's taken place. He followed Paul everywhere he went. Luke was a physician. Paul needed a physician because he was always getting beat up. He was always, you know, mending his wounds. And he wrote as much as he could, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to be able to deliver to us the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And back then, people didn't have the written word, and it was all taught by tradition. And when Paul is telling them this, you know, you're getting some of the word, and you're getting some of the letter. You're getting some traditional word, and you're getting some of the letter, the letters that I'm sending you. Those are the things that you need to hold on to, the truth. Guard the truth. Hold on to those traditions. As a matter of fact, to Timothy, he says this. He says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the word, in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. There was doctrine that Paul taught. And he says, you got to know this doctrine because doctrine determines your behavior. Good doctrine determines your behavior, good behavior. Bad doctrine, well, of course, it causes bad behavior. What in, in doctrine is what you know. And what you know is going to cause what you do. Because you're only going to do what you know. You're only going to do what you believe. If you believe that stealing is not a sin or is not bad, it's okay. If you believe that lying is, you know, it's no big deal. Everybody does it. I have, sometimes I have to because I'm going to, you know, I got to get over. And, and if you don't believe that lying is a sin and lying's bad, then you're going to lie. That's your belief. That's your doctrine. That's, your ta- that's what you've been taught. That's what you've learned. That's what you continue to do. And if you steal, you know, if you think that that's okay because you really need it. And by the way, it was their stupid fault for leaving it out and, you know, the the door's unlocked. Have you heard that one? (laughs) I have. It's your fault for leaving it unlocked. But it's mine. Why did somebody take it? And that's just what people believe. They've been infiltrated by believing that. Hey, you know, if you're dumb enough to leave it out in the open, uh, you know, then you're dumb enough to be taken from you. It's not right. It's never right. Truth is truth. And when you understand what the truth is, then you do everything you can to live by that truth. And what Paul is saying here is you've been taught some interesting doctrine, some great doctrine. Now live it out. Live it out. Yes, it's contrary to what you believed before. It's contrary to how you were raised up and how you were brought up in the world and the people around you. You know, it's different. So what if everybody else is doing something else? Everybody else is doing it. Well, not you because you got the word of God. So we guard the truth, number by standing firm, by holding on to the traditions, and number three, by studying the truth. By studying the truth. See, if, if it wasn't for the, the pastor or teacher or somebody to help you to understand the word, then you would just be going by what anybody else says. Now, it's, it could be true, a pastor or a teacher or somebody else that says can be leading you astray. And that's true that there's a lot of things that uh, some people say, some pastors say, that you wonder, okay, is that really true? Is that really in the Bible? 
And you know, I, I've been I've been confronted many times, especially when we're talking about the doctrines of grace. The doctrines of grace are very difficult to grasp because people weren't taught that. They're taught differently. They're taught that you can choose God. It's like God is is wanting you, and Satan wants you, and and uh, it's up to you to decide. And they're both voting for you, and you get the casting vote, and you get to say, "Well, you know, God, uh, I don't know, you know." And God is up there saying, "Please choose me, choose me." And Satan says, "Oh no, no, God, choose me, choose." Me. And they're all wondering, you know, "Come on, come on, come on, please." And we're all they're all trying to give you this this idea and this understanding, and so therefore you say, "Okay, well, I, I choose, I choose God." And all of a sudden, yay, God is happy, and there's angels that are clapping, and uh, all of heaven is rejoicing which is what happens when one sinner is converted. But the Bible teaches clearly, I mean, over and over and over again, that you're predestined, that you're chosen, you're elect, you're sovereignly elected, over and over and over again. I, I'm yet to find a verse where it says that you get to choose. Oh, I, I, I'm sorry. Yes, somebody did say, what about John 3.16? Well, John 3.16 says this, for, though, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth, there it is, whosoever, whosoever what? Whosoever believeth, well, how are they going to believe? Well, they got to choose to believe. I don't see that word choose in there. But it says there, whosoever believes. You know that the demons believe? The Bible says that the demons even, and they shudder. They're not going to be in heaven. You know, even atheists believe to something. Did you know that Satan's not even an atheist? And there's some truths that are just hard to swallow because people have been taught something different. And that's why what I'm sharing with you I go according to the scripture, and I'm reading to you what it says, and I give you verses to back that up. Well, somebody says, well, what about, what, about, what about when Jesus is standing at the door, and he's knocking at the door, and you, you have to choose to open that door up. Did you know that that verse is in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, that says he wants to fellowship with the church? He's talking to the church. He wants to talk to you. You let him out. You, you wouldn't let him into your heart. You say you're a believer, then you got to let him in. And he stands at the door and knocks, and he has a very stern word for that church has nothing to do with your salvation. Jesus is talking to the churches, seven churches. Seven, seven churches that have already been saved. But, but you know, what, don't I have to know? Where does it say that? As a matter of fact, Lydia was saved because God opened her heart. That's how she was saved in the book of Acts. God opened her heart. God opened my heart. See, God is sovereign. People believe that. People understand that, yes, God is sovereign. Yes, he's in control. Yes, he's, you know, but, but, but when it comes to salvation, it, it's my part. It's like somebody once said to me, you know, it's not difficult to believe that the Jews are God's chosen people. But, oh, no, no, but not me. I, I, got, I got to choose God. He, he didn't choose me. I have to choose God. You, you see how arrogant and prideful that is? That I get to decide if I want to be saved or not. That I get to do the choosing. Beloved, the Bible is very clear that you're so depraved and degenerate that you are a sinner, that the last thing you want is God. You want the blessings of God. You want everything, but you don't want God. Your mind is so darkened and hardened and seared. And, and the Bible goes over, all have sinned. There's no one who seeks. And, uh, uh, you know, there, there's no one who is righteous. There's no one who seeks. No one. This is why God has to do an intervening work in your life. And see, these are the doctrines that have always been believed. God is sovereign. He's in control. He does everything that he wants to do, and he does what, whatever he does. Want. He'll have mercy upon who he'll have mercy, and he'll not have mercy on those he doesn't want to have mercy on. I, I don't know how else to explain that, but if you don't know the word, you're going to believe what everybody else is telling you. Now, we've been through some studies already. We're finishing up the doctrines of grace, by the way, 
And we're going to start another class, and I'm going to do it in Spanish as well. So you guys come learn it in Spanish now. Those of you have been through it in English. And uh, we're going to do it in Spanish. If there's anybody in Spanish willing to take it up. But I'm going to show you the verses. And, you know, what was really interesting is when we were going through some of these verses, somebody said, and I won't mention their name, but somebody says, it's, it says that, right? That's what it says right there. There's nothing else. You know, you cannot find me a verse that says you get to choose God. But it's inferred. Okay. There's a lot of things that are inferred. I, I get that. Sometimes we have to, you know, kind of massage the scripture to say, okay, but what is he really trying to say? And, and it's inferred. Yes, it is. It's inferred. But, beloved, the doctrine of sovereign election is stated. And it is said. And it is you have been chosen. You have been elected from the foundations of the world. You have been set aside. You, and, and you cannot. You cannot. You cannot. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. That's what he said. Those Jesus' words, not mine. And so... When you listen to the traditions and you go study the word, the Bible says, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, do your best to present yourself to God, not to the pastor, not to your Sunday school teacher, but you need to present yourself to God. You see, the pastor might be leading you astray. It is your responsibility to get into the word and see what it says. You know, the Sunday school teacher might be leading you on his own agenda. He might be wanting to tell you what he wants you to know. You know, so... You know, you'll get to heaven and says, well, why did you believe that? Well, that teacher, well, you know, when that teacher gets here, I'll talk to him. But why didn't you believe? Well, you know, that pastor, when that pastor gets here, I'll talk to him. But what about you? You do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. You know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that in, in our world, in our time today, in so many, so many different ways, The word of God is out there. I, I, you know, there, there are homes that have two, three, four Bibles. There's, there, there used to be Bibles in every, in every hotel room. There are Bibles online. Their access to God's word is so easy nowadays. Yet most people don't read it. It's hard to find one person within a church sometimes that have read the Bible throughout the whole year. Read the whole Bible. I met a young man that read the Bible over and over again. He keeps reading and reading it. I said, very good. Keep going. I know another couple that are reading the Bible right now. They're reading it over and over again, you know. Keep going. Take, now take some time, you know. And, and I thank God that there's various people in here that are, have done that already. Yeah, praise God for that, right? You know, because, because you're getting to know the word and you're understanding it. And as we go through these studies, you see it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Study. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Number two, back of your outline, practice the truth. Practice the truth. Paul finishes off verses 16 and 17. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Hallelujah. Your love makes me sing. Amen. Your love makes me sing. Because because God himself, our father, he, who loves us and gave us eternal comfort. You are comforted right now with eternity. This comfort that you have, you have it now, the same etern- the same comfort that you're going to have in eternity, you have it right now. 
And so we need to practice that. We need to practice the fact that I'm already comforted. I don't have to ask for more comfort. I'm already loved. God is not going to love you more than he does right now. He loves you beyond measure, unconditionally. There is no more that he can love you. Beloved, if you would only see that, if you can only see how much he loves you. Because he's, first of all, he first of all created you. And from the foundations of the world, he chose you. And he's brought you into this world, and now he's regenerated you. And you're going through sanctification, because one day you'll be glorified. God loves you. I, I, I just, you know, I, I can't, I, my prayer is like what Paul used to say to the people in Ephesus. He says, you know, my prayer is that you understand and know how high, how deep, how long, how wide the love of Christ is. That you understand the depths, the width, the height, the length, and, and how deep that love is. My prayer is with Paul preaching to the people in Ephesus, I, I want you to know that. And there's nothing, nothing in all creation that will take you away. Not heaven, not hell, not angels, not demons, not life, nor death. Nothing in all creation can take you away from the love of God. He loves you. So he wants you to practice that truth. Practice how, how well do what it says. The book of James says, number, James one twenty two: be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. Did you know that if you come to church and you just hear the word, oh, that sounds, that was a good word. That was a very good word. And you walk out this door and you don't do what it says. You're deceiving yourself. It's very deceptive. And, and you know, I, I know, I understand life happens. The moment you walk out that door, life happens, right? Life happens. Life's been happening all week, right? It's been happening all week. You come to church, and then you hear this, and, you know, I, I should do that. I got a conviction in my heart about, about what needs to be done. And you walk out of here and say, eh, maybe next week. And we forget what we've learned. This is why a few weeks ago we said you got to remember. Remember. That's why we do the Lord's table, because we remember what Jesus Christ died, what he died for. He died for us. We remember that one day he's coming again. So we just do what it says. The best way to put it into practice is right now. If that's what it says, if you need to ask for forgiveness, you go and ask for forgiveness. If you need to uh, make some adjustments, make some adjustments. Just do it. Sometimes it's difficult for some people. I understand that. But it's not impossible. See, faith doesn't make it possible. Excuse me. Faith doesn't make it happen. It just makes it possible. Faith is the strength that gives you the ability to go forward and say, okay, I'm going to make this. I'm going to make this work. And, and if it works, it's because, I'll be, it's because of what God has given me already and what he said. If I'm able to ask for forgiveness and, and, and I can live a, a stress-free life, then that would be great. Can you shut the heater? Yeah? Thank you. I don't know about you guys, but I'm getting a little warm up here. <laughs> Do what it says. Uh, Romans 2.13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. See, Paul already knew the people in Rome were hearing the word, hearing the word, hearing the word. Oh, that's great. Fantastic. Oh, that's, we need to philosophize over this and, and get together with our other buddies. And let's have, you know, let's go out and have some, some tacos al pastor and talk about the pastor and, you know, what he said, what he didn't say, what he should have said, how he could have said it, you know. Instead of going back and realizing, okay, what is the word of God saying? What does the word of God say? You know, you can have one of the most boring pastors, probably one of the most, you know, 
undisciplined pastors, but if he uses God's word, one verse, that verse should give you something to live on for the rest of that week. One verse. If it's God's word and he's using God's word and he might be boring, he might not tell good stories, he might not, you know, be eloquent in his speech. But if it's one verse, the word of God, that verse should give you enough food for the week. Because that's the way God's word is. If you do what it says. You know, because if we don't, here's what's going to happen at the end of time. Jesus gave this scenario. He says, you know, there's going to come a time when people that gone to church and they listened to the word and they, they, they did this and they did that. There were all kinds of things that they might have done, could have done, would have done. And uh, you know what? At the end, here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Do what it says. The story goes on, as Jesus is saying here, you know, they're going to they're gonna say, well, well, didn't we cast out demons? Uh, did, did, didn't we prophesy? Didn't, didn't we, you know, did, didn't we go to church? Didn't we give money? Didn't we help? Didn't we, you know, didn't we do all those things? He says, depart from me, for I never knew you. You know why? Because you didn't do what the Bible says. That's why. You took it upon yourself to adjust it to your schedule and to work it around your uh, morals and ethics. And, and you, you've kind of twisted it a little bit. It's okay to lie a little bit, isn't it? It's okay. You know, a white lie, a lie is a lie. It's okay to do, you know, and, 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 it's, and, and you, 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 you adjust it to your own schedule. And Jesus says, not every, you, you got to do what it says. And I thank God that for the most part, you know, we're, we're doing what it says. Now, have I, have I been there completely, done everything? I, I can tell you no. But am I attempting to? Yeah, I am. The things I know that I can't do, I shouldn't do. I'm just the opposite. Well, not, I'm not the opposite of Paul. But the things I know I shouldn't do, I don't do. But Paul says the things I know I, should, I shouldn't do, I do. And the things I, I, I do that I don't want to do, I, I, I do. And the things I don't do, I, I need to do, I, I don't do. And he says, this wretched man, that's what he said in Romans chapter 7. Read it. It's kind of confusing. But if you follow the logic, he is basically saying, you know, that's me. That's me in the life prior to understanding my command from Jesus Christ. So how do I practice the truth? Be established in the truth. Be established in the truth. Now may our Lord and Savior, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 2, he says, And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in faith. To establish, to make firm, to get the foundation solid, to help you to stand. And you got to get established. You got to establish. Paul's goal was to get his disciples established. And challenge them. And challenge them. You got to get rid of that. You got to get rid of this. You got not oh, pobrecito, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you know none of the, none of that stuff. Say you got to do these things because time is short. You don't have time to mess around. You're either going to do it or you're not. We're going through a discipleship class right now, and we're understanding and realizing that it is a heavy call. It is a heavy call. They're not just words. To deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. When Jesus said, take up your cross, 
He didn't say, you know, go down to the jewelry store and pick up a nice little gold cross that you come around your neck, hang it on your uh, your rearview mirror. You, you know, go to the go to the bookstore and get a sticker so you can paste that on the back of your bumper. That's not what he meant when he said pick up your cross. They knew what it meant. It's kind of like Jesus would say right now, go and get your electric chair, your gas chamber. Get rid of yourself, your life. Get rid of your spirit, your personal life and, and start living for Jesus Christ. Well, the things that mattered to you before should not matter anymore. He goes on to say about, you know, forsaking all others, your father, your mother, your brothers, not hating them, not, not, you know, not loving them. You still pray for them. You still work with them. You still talk to them. But they cannot be more important than Jesus Christ. This is a heavy call. Discipleship is not for the weak. Jesus he called you a disciple. It's the world that calls you a Christian. In uh, James 5, 8, he says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And I, I, don't, I can't see any other, other reason as to, as to just echo this again, but to say that the Lord is at hand. James knew it back 2,000 years ago. Paul knew it. The fathers have known it. We know it, that Jesus Christ is at hand. He's closer today than he was yesterday. And so we need to establish our hearts. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. The purpose of establishing your heart, establishing your stand, being established, is so that you can stand firm when the day comes that he returns. That's why. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would have happened if Jesus Christ would have returned on Friday? You know, or Thanksgiving Day. I don't know. What were you doing on Thanksgiving Day? What were you doing on Friday or Saturday night? You know, you think about the day that you experienced throughout the week. And in some of those, some of those are very prominent in your mind. They pop up. You know, I, I shouldn't have been doing that. Can you imagine if Jesus Christ would have came at that moment? At that moment that, you know, whatever it was you were doing, you shouldn't have been doing. It's going to happen like that, like a twinkling in an eye, like the lightning comes from the east to the west. It's just going to boom. He's going to, whoa. Uh, you know, you're not going to have time to shut your computer, turn your phone off, close the book, or get out of that spot that you're in. It's just going to happen. This is why you need to establish your life. Because Jesus Christ is coming. 1 Peter 5.10 And after you have suffered a little while, the, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You see, Jesus Christ, in the process, as, as this is happening to Peter as well, and the people he's writing to, but in the process, the people in Thessalonica are going through. They, they, are, they are going through some suffering. They are going through some stuff. And Peter tells his people, people that he's writing to, that God, that Jesus Christ and the glory of Christ will himself restore you. He'll confirm you. He'll strengthen you. And he will establish you. Just got to get through it. Just got to get through it. The last thing I want to leave you with is what, Jesus, what Paul says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Is that eternal comfort? My comfort is eternal. That that is an a, 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 an eternity of comfort that you are ex, that you can experience right now. Because you are in eternity, you're already there. 
That's why Paul told the people in 2 Corinthians, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You know, this is, this is very interesting when you think about it this way. Some of the things that you go through in life, the persecutions, the trials, the tribulations, some of the things that you go through in life, they're really not about you. Think about that for a moment. If, if you're in eternity and God is putting you through these things for a very specific reason or a lesson, and you're in eternity right now. And so, but you're going through these troubles and struggles and it's, it hurts. It's painful. I understand. I know. I've been through them myself. I know that. But, but see, what God is doing in your life, he's comforting you so that when somebody else is in trouble, you will be able to comfort them in their time of struggles with the comfort that God himself gave you. See, sometimes the things that we go through It's not necessarily just about us, but it's about somebody else. Let me read that again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You know, and and I know, I know it's, it, it strikes a really hard nerve and it's a very difficult pill to swallow that, what? what do you mean it's not about me? Well, it's not, beloved, it's about God. It's about the glory to God. And so you are the only person, possibly, that would be able to comfort somebody else in that situation. And evil happens. I'm not saying that God caused it to happen, but he comforted you through that time. And he'll continue to comfort you through that time. I have tried to comfort people in their loss with their moms. I've never been able to understand that. As a matter of fact, when my mom died, I figured, okay, I can, t- I can take care of this. I-, I can do a, you know, and I didn't. I didn't do a good job. Should have let somebody else handle it, to be honest with you. But I can understand now. I can understand what that means. And some of you have gone through some stuff, and, and you, you should be able to comfort other people. I talked to a young man yesterday that um, his wife was, uh, plowed into head on by a diesel and now she's in convalescence she's all banged up and uh, he has to feed her and care for her and take for her and he's like I'm the only one I can't believe this happened and he says brother you need to come to our church I can introduce you to a couple people three that I know of personally that have had to do that for a loved one and they have been comforted by God by just committing their life to Christ and that God comforted them and has taken care of them and God has allowed you to go through certain things for a specific reason. I, I can't understand that. I don't know why God is causing these things to happen to you in your life. You know, not causing them, but allowing them. But one thing I do know is if, if I understand God's word, and if I believe God's word, I believe that he's going to use that instance in your life. The loss of your mom, your brother, your sister, your son, grandson, whatever. The troubles and tribulations that you're going through. He's going to use that for his glory. And that is a promise from God because you're living in eternity right now and you're already there. Now it's time to use what God has given you and the tools he's given you to stand firm in your faith. Let me ask you to stand with that in mind. 
You know, as Paul was writing to this church in Thessalonica, he was proud of this church. This was a church to be proud of. He says, you know, I'm proud of you guys. You guys have done a lot. It was a church, a model church from the beginning. And he's proud of this church. But, you know, there's some things that are going on in life. And, and they were struggling as well, just like all of us. And he says, well, here's some of the things that you need to understand. And because you know this, I want you to stand firm. And stand firm in what, what you have learned and what you have picked up. We're coming to the end of the year and we're coming to the beginning of a new year. And, and, and we're starting to realize, you know, there's some things that we've been doing that we should maybe stop doing. There's some things that worked and maybe some things that haven't worked. And so maybe we need to change the direction of our life and even the direction of our church. I don't know. But I'm going to ask you to pray with me and to seek God into the direction that we need to go. And, and I believe that God still wants to work through this group, through this church. And I'm asking God to reveal and to show and, and what it is the next step that we need to do. And it might be next year and it might be the following year. I don't know. But I'm just asking you to pray with me as we go before the Lord this, this afternoon. Father in heaven, thank you once again for your word. And Lord, it, it is so powerful. It's so understanding when we realize what the people that, uh, that Paul wrote to were going through and some of the things that we go through as well. And how Paul has uh, laid it out for us that we need to guard this truth, specifically of the, the rapture and the second coming and the, the revealing of Antichrist specifically on the things that we need to stand firm on and holding the traditions to and how we study the word, specifically on putting the practice, putting into practice the truth and doing what the word says and to be established in our life. And so, Father, I pray that uh, as we move from this place and we leave this, this room and that the, the word, your word, as it echoes throughout our, our mind and our heart and reverberates and it pulses within our heart we come to understand that there's still a lot of work that has to be done. So I thank you, Lord, for your word that's encouraging, that leads us and motivates us to be more and more like Jesus Christ. I pray for each individual here. So I look across the room, I see that there's many uh, tribulations, heartaches, and pain that has happened in, in their lives. And I pray, Father, that you use that for your glory. And only you, Father, can do so when we submit ourselves to you. So thank you once again for this time and for all that you do, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen and amen. All right, stick around.